computer led were led by the scriptures, right? But it's okay if you use an electronic device. There's no sin. <laughs> the resurrection, that's a matter of the heart. Many of us are probably familiar with Luke's version of the resurrection, and I believe that he zeroes on the, in on the most important fact of the resurrection that has to deal with at least mankind, and that is the heart. We know that the resurrection is the basic tenet of the Christian faith. It's really the linchpin of our doctrine. Without the resurrection of Christ from the dead, then we're no better off than anybody else. As Paul related in 1 Corinthians 15, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, if the dead do not raise, if Christ be not raised. But Christ is risen. He's not among the dead, (laughs) but among the living. The resurrection of Christ is a clear signal from God that Jesus is the most powerful Son of God and that He's conquered death and He reigns as Lord. Romans 1.4 and 4.25 Declared to be the Son of God with power. If Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, then it doesn't matter what He taught. It could all be dismissed. The miracles were just what they were for that time. But all that He said... And all that he did is validated by the resurrection of him from the dead. He said, I have the power to lay my life down. I have the power to take it up. And did he not take it up? Hallelujah. It demonstrates that the blood of Jesus, the blood of the new covenant, saves his people from their sins. Isn't that a glorious thing? To know that we've been saved from our sins. We've been forgiven. The greatest gift that God can give us is the forgiveness of our sins. To remove the guilt from our spirits, from our souls. And really, the resurrection of Christ from the dead is is really a matter of the heart. You either believe that it happened to Jesus or you don't. If you don't believe in the historical fact as recorded for the Bible, in the Bible... Um, you're without hope. And that's a sad place to be. But if Jesus indeed did raise from the dead, then what does that mean for us? We also will be raised from the dead. Nobody's getting out of here alive, right? Everybody dies, physically speaking. But there's a, an afterlife, and we'll go to be with him. This is our hope, the resurrection from the dead. This is the promise that he's given to us, even eternal life. So, a question I want to ask of us here this morning is, where's your heart? What's the state of your heart? Do you believe deep down inside that Jesus rose from the dead? That he died for you personally? He took your place personally? That his blood applied to your heart personally forgives your sins and takes them away. 
You see our, when we think about the heart, let's make sure it's not the ticker here, not the thump, 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 thump we're talking about here. We're talking the heart of man. We're talking about the deepest recesses of our being. The inner person that we are. It's the one that makes the decisions, right? It's the one that develops our motivations. That's the heart of man. Our hearts can be darkened by sin. It can be enlightened by truth. It can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And remember, sin always delivers less than expected, in fulfillment anyway. And it always delivers more in sorrow than we anticipate. The heart can burn with passion for God and His presence. We can open our heart or we can close our heart. Keep in mind these things as we examine this particular passage. Now, as much as I'd like to cover the whole chapter, because it has five conditions of the heart, I'm going to spare you that length of time that it would take this morning. Uh, we're going to cover two of the heart conditions. Uh, the first heart condition is found in verses 1 through 12. That is a, a perplexed heart. There at the tomb, in the face of death, we see the perplexed heart of those coming to the tomb. Verses 13 through 27, on the road to Emmaus, we see a slow heart, slow in contemplation. Verses 28 through 35, we see what went on in the village, that of a burning heart. Learning the truth will always bring a burning heart within us. Verses 36 through 43, the gathering. This deals with the troubled heart in the midst of the unfamiliar. Verses 44 through 49, the scriptures bring an understanding heart when the truth of God from the scriptures is revealed to us we then begin to understand. We're going to cover the first two this morning, the tomb and the road, the perplexed heart and the slow heart. Now, some of you might be thinking that I did this on purpose so that you'll come back and get the second part of the message. And you, you might be right. <laughs> but there's just so much here. I, I just didn't feel it would do justice to the text and to the application of these truths to our life. So forgive me for that, if you will. Let's stand as I read the first 12 verses. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found that the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. 
Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales. They did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb. Stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. You may be seated. Having this event take place there in the midst, the women were perplexed. The idea here, it's dia piero, and it is from a piero, uh, no way. Uh, there was no way. Uh, so dia, uh, situations that are filled with uncertainty. To be in a situation where there's no way out. Now, we've all experienced that probably at some point in time where we thought, oh my goodness, what is, there's no way out of this situation. We're trapped. Herod um, used this word in Luke 9, 7, where he, he's, he heard that all was being done by Jesus, Luke 9, 7. He was perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, but by some that Elijah had appeared, but others that the one of the old prophets has risen again. He could not figure out how this was happening and what was going on. It perplexed him. There was just no way for him to figure it out. Luke twenty-one twenty-five says, This is the heart attitude of the people upon the earth before the coming of right before the second coming of the Messiah. Luke twenty-one twenty-five. There will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on earth distress of nations with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear with the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory." doesn't sound like we're too far from that. The distress of nations sounds familiar. And of course, what we've read here in, in verse 4. But also, this word is experienced in the life of believers. Nobody gets a free ride. We all enter trials and temptations and sufferings. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And we can all say amen to that. We have Jesus, right? He's in our lives. We all have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body and the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. And so... We can see that uh, through this uh, context here and how it's used that um, throughout the scriptures, that is an activity of the heart. We all experience this from time to time. 
You know, how many times have you entered into trials? You think, I don't know what to think. I don't know what to do. Oh, and then it's, what do we do? Oh, Lord, what do we do? Show me what to do. And God will bring us to that point. And think about it for a moment. Before you came to Christ, that was your state continually, regularly. How many people outside of Christ now, as unbelievers, are living in this perplexity? What should I do? I don't know where to go. What's next? There is no certainty at all within their lives. You know, what we've experienced the last couple of years with CV-19, this bioweapon that has filled our world with many uncertainties, right? You know, will it continue to affect the population? How about, are they going to unleash some other bioweapons, you know, some other viruses? Is this going to affect the economy? Uh, maybe, it kind of looks like it is. Well, I still have a job. Lots of things. These aren't just words that we're using here. This is application. This is reality. Because God wants us to be certain. He wants us to draw upon his strength and give us peace in the midst of this uncertainty. The psychological warfare has pushed many of us to great lengths of uncertainty. The irrational behavior of many is unnerving. So we are faced with circumstances that are beyond our control. But we have choices to make. We can choose to fret and worry, or we can just simply choose to trust the Lord. Doesn't mean we don't see what's going on. Doesn't mean we've got our head buried in the sand. We're quite aware of what's going on, but we're at peace. God has this. The nations raids. He who sits in heavens will laugh. He shall have them in derision. Just think for a moment how sad and uncertain the disciples were once Jesus was apprehended, tortured, and crucified and put in the tomb. That day and the next couple of days were really rough, crushed, all their hopes and dreams shattered. What was happening in the unseen realm? No doubt the demons and Satan were rejoicing that they had gained the victory over Yahweh. Wrong on every count. He crushed the serpent's head. He destroyed his authority and power over death. No longer an uncertainty, but a certainty of his power and his love and vindication. You see, this perplexity that we experience threatens the control that we enjoy. That's really why we, why we get upset. It's like we're no longer in control. We, we really like being in control. But as Christians, as true believers, we have to yield that desire to control our lives, our destinies to him. Not an easy thing to do, is it? Sometimes. You know, when you think about it, in reality, there's not a whole lot we really can control. We just think we're in control, <laughs> right? We have expectations. We habitually project these expectations in the situations that somehow make uh, 
ourselves feel better about the, and so we can easily deceive ourselves. What it really comes down to is we must trust the Lord. Become men and women of prayer and put our faith in the one who does have the control. Can you just hear the Lord saying, look, I got this. I got this. What are you worried about? Stop fussing. You know, when we were going through numbers there a, f- a couple weeks ago or so, and the people were grouching and murmuring, and we don't have any meat, and the Lord's had it, right? I'll send you meat. Not one day, not two days, not three, not ten, not twenty, but a whole month until it comes out your nose. <laughs> and Moses, in response to that, goes, whoa, 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 whoa. There's 600,000 footmen here, and they can really put it away. How are you going to wait? Are you going to slaughter all the, all the herd? What about the fish in the sea? I, wait. You know, he's struggling with how could God possibly do this? And I love the Lord's response. Is my, is my arm short? Is my hand too short that I cannot save? And so is that, you know, that is not, does that not apply now? Is God's hands a little too short that he can't deliver us from what we're now going through? Or our life situation? Apply accordingly, right? And so we have to choose to follow and to trust. Now, there's a few things we should ask ourselves about this resurrection and some thoughts. Do you really believe that it happened? You're going to have to answer that question in your heart. Nobody else can answer that for you. What about the will of God? If that's true, what about how does that roll out for the will of God in my life? Am I in the will of God? Have I strayed from His purpose and the destiny that he has for me? Am I allowing God to choose my inheritance? Or do I want that control? Do I want to control my destiny? If Jesus Christ truly rose from the dead, and all the things that he said is, are true, and all the things that are written in the scripture of truth are true, how, do you, how, how are you aligned with that? Are you in the will of God? Are you without a way? How much perplexity is going on in your heart? See, God will take away that. He'll, he'll, give you the, he'll show you the way. What about forgiveness? When's the last time you asked the Lord to forgive your sins? Hopefully it's daily. So we know the older we get, the more in tune we get with our humanity. We fall far short of perfection. And we don't just say it for saying its sake. We say it because we need it. We need the blood of Christ applied to our life. What about eternity? What happens at death? They're facing death. They see the death of Christ. They're perplexed by it. This doesn't make any sense. He was here, but he's not here. What is going on here? This doesn't fit. None of this makes any sense. What happened this week? This was supposed to be the glorious Passover feast, and now look what happened. They've killed Jesus, you know. Perplexed. Can 
the dead be raised? I mean, it's amazing how these people forgot. He had, prior to a few days earlier, raised Lazarus from the dead. Shouldn't have been an issue. The resurrection of the dead. But the culture was full of liberals. The Sadducees were the liberals of the day in the establishment. And they mocked the Pharisees for their belief in the resurrection, their belief in the angels. And they confronted Jesus about this resurrection and their heresy of not believing it. And I love this because Jesus just used simple logic in addressing these hypocrites. In Mark twelve twenty six, Jesus responded to them, but concerning the dead, that they rise. Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. And aren't you glad that you, aren't, you don't have to be the one to straighten out people? They may be greatly mistaken, but it's not our jobs to fix it. It's up, there, up to them to receive the truth and, and change their minds. And sometimes I think logic is the best way to handle a skeptic. Just simply tell them the truth. And let them decide. It's a very big mistake to underestimate the power of God. And that's what they were doing. We should never underestimate the power of God. If, as in the case of Moses, mentioned earlier, you're not, he wasn't doubting God's ability. He just was trying to figure out how it could possibly happen. And that's where we land most of the time. Like, wait, hold on. How you got to work this one out, Lord? And then he just says, just stand back and watch and marvel. And that's what we do, isn't it? We just marvel at his ability to work out things in our lives. And it's always, not only are you blessed, because it's not just about us and our prayers being answered, but when God moves and he answers, it affects much more than we ever could imagine the people around us and their needs and their lives. It's, it's a wonderful thing, the way God works. You and I do not need to be worried about not being able to find our way. We don't need to be worried about a life of uncertainty because God knows the way through the wilderness. Isn't that a wonderful promise? He'll be the guide to take us through it all. Verse 5 says that they were fearful. Now, uh, this is in regard to the presence of a divine being, the angels. Now, I don't know. Um, I think we've all had a supernatural encounter. If you're born again, you certainly have, right? But to have an angel, a bright and shining person, 
standing in front of you uh, would frighten us. We're intimidated. We're lesser beings in the sense of power and ability. We're flawed. They are not. And the glory of God shines through them without uh, any resistance whatsoever. Just that they're in that state of expressing God's glory continually. And if we enter into some that kind of presence, that's what we experience. We're frightened. We're, whoa, whoa. I, you know, I don't really know, know how to describe that because I've never had that experience, but I can imagine, uh, I mean, they're hitting the turf, bowed down, faces to the earth. There's a reverence there of the unseen, you know, the people that are from the unseen realm. I don't think we should be intimidated by the supernatural because God is supernatural, but we are. They just ask, they're, they're just person, they just like we are. Simple question, why are you seeking the living among the dead? God is always causing us and his messengers, causing us to think. God wants us to think through things. Why are you here? How many people, rather than seeking answers from the living God, are seeking answers from dead things? It's a marvel to me how people will go and inquire of uh, the psychics. Or they can hardly wait to get the, you know, online to see what their horoscope is going to be. Are you kidding? I mean, you're seeking knowledge. You're seeking direction. Your, your perplexity has led you to this. I want to know about my future. It's very tempting to do those kinds of things, but we're to seek truth from the true and living God, not the dead. These ladies were simply coming to finish the work that they had planned to do. They know that it was a rush job, so to speak, in getting Jesus off the cross, wrapped up and put it in the tomb because it was the, path, the um, Sabbath was, was next, uh, about to begin that evening. And so they wanted to come and finish the job. So in a sense, they were seeking Jesus when they were interrupted, as it were, by something they didn't expect. They got the biggest surprise of their life. Jesus didn't need any further embalming. <laughs> he had risen from the dead. And a lot of this probably could have avoided, but I don't know that it would have been avoided. But it's here in verse 8. They are told to remember his words. And I think this is really what gets us into trouble. We forget what God has already said to us. Generally speaking, we know what the will of God is in our heart. It's written there. We're, we're really aware of really what God wants us to do more than we'd like to admit maybe sometimes because we're sort of maybe intimidated by what he may be asking us to do or we just aren't inclined, like, I don't really want to do that. Just it's not our will, it's not our, in, in our purview to do it. They had to be reminded of what Jesus had said to them. That he would be 
delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. Why are you shocked, so to speak, is what they're communicating. He said this was going to happen. You just didn't want to hear it. You, you, may, you know, the disciples probably were spiritualizing. Oh, there he goes again. Jesus spiritualizing. He's going to, you know, be crucified. Well, he couldn't. He's the Messiah. They're not going to cruci- really crucify him. Yeah. He was telling it like it was going to happen. And it did happen. I think it's amazing to me how we can uh, employ selective memory on occasion. We only remember what we want to remember. And in this case, when they, the apostles in verse 11 heard this, look how they responded to it. They weren't remembering either. Idle tales. They thought this was nonsense. And there are a lot of people, probably some people maybe even listening by way of the internet, that just think what I'm talking about and what the scripture talks about here is absolutely nonsense. Jesus rose from the dead. Oh, come on. There's a lot of people who think when you close your eyes for the last time, that's it. You cease to exist. Of course, that's what Satan wants you to believe. He's got you. He's deceived you. He's blinded you to the truth. These are not idle tales. This is not nonsense. This is perfectly good sense if you're just willing to open your heart and mind and comprehend the magnitude of what took place here. And there are a lot of people, sadly to say, who were raised in Christian homes. They had an experience with God. They had, had an encounter with the Most High. But then they left home. Some went on to college and were brainwashed by the establishment through the state-run educational system and this atheistic thing that drives people away from God and they've forgotten how they were raised they've left their roots it's so sad they've backslid in their heart they left what they were taught the basic fundamentals That's the nonsense. That's the nonsensical thing to do. Doesn't make any sense why you would turn from life to death. There are those who have chosen not to believe. Apisteo, no faith in what God has said. But they'll put their faith in what man has said. Man who lies, prone to deceive. You'll believe that versus a God who has never lied and can never lie and his love never fails. It's illogical. It doesn't make any sense. But that's the spirit of deception in the world today. In fact, I want to encourage you, if you happen to be in that category, just ask God about these things. Why don't you just ask him? You don't have to take my word for it. Why don't you ask him? It's right here. It's for everyone. All you have to do is read it. You can disagree with it, but you at least ought to read it and ask him about it and let him answer you. Let him remind you of the things that you have heard when you were young, things that you had received, and now maybe things that you've rejected and turned away from. You see... We need the Lord in our lives. We cannot live without Him. 
And I believe that God uh, wants us to live in that dependent manner. You think about it, we need friendships, the body of Christ, the body of believers. And none of us live unto ourselves. And yet we, by nature, seek independence from God and others. And it only leads to disappointment in our life. The more we seek that, the more disappointment it seems to bring in our life. But you think about how we were brought into this world. We were brought into this world, and this was by design, obviously. And in our first, we were what? Dependent upon others. If no one would have taken care of you, fed you, bathed you, watched over you, you would not have lived. God designed you and I to be dependent. And then as soon as we come of age, whatever that may be, we want independence. And then as we grow old, what happens if we live to be of older age? We begin once again dependent upon others for care, for protection, for love. God created you and I to be dependent first and foremost upon him and then upon our brothers and sisters in a good way. We need one another. We're social creatures. I find it a truth in the church and outside the church. You know, it's funny, on Wednesday nights when we come, of course we have a smaller crowd on Wednesdays, uh, but the, the parking lot across the street here is full, and down the street, it's also full. Uh, now, they have certain things going on at the restaurant, in the bar and all. Uh, but these people go there for a reason. There's a social need, whether they want to admit it or not. They're having a, 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 a psychological need met in their life. We never get away from it. In verse 12, we see Peter's response to all this. He could have just sat there and remained in his perplexity. But what did he do? He got up. He arose and ran to the tomb. I'm going to check this out. I'm going to find out for myself. And that's really my encouragement to all of us today. You know, you can listen to me fine, but check it out yourself. Look into it yourself. He got up and he faced his perplexity. He didn't run from it. He didn't deny it. He dealt with it. And there's always a turning point of when you'll do that. There's a turning point. You find the, out, the information you need and you can make a good choice. Hearing the testimony of the women, he was able to conclude what they said was true. He was amazed. He marveled. Isn't that what happens to us when we face the truth and receive the truth? We're amazed. Like, wow. Like, for most of us, it's like, why did I wait so long? Why was I such a doofus, you know, and just put it off? Oh, what have I missed? Because of putting it, by putting it off, you know. So the point is with Peter there, he put some effort into dealing with his situation and with the information that he was presented with. I'm encouraged by this scripture.
to share this with you as well. Ask the Lord. If what I'm saying and what the Bible proclaims to be true is true, then you owe it to yourself to check it out. Look into it. God's word is true. He could never lie, and he will never lie. And here's a promise for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 and 12, or 11 through 14. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope, that you might call upon me, go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me, you will find me, when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, says the Lord. That is a promise. Peter got up and he went and he saw and he, he received. The women got up to do their, what they felt was their duty and they saw, they experienced The last point here on the road to Emmaus. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to the village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was that while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they could not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you are having with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you a stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? <laughs> and so they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. And now the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be crucified to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, certain women among our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that he had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had, women had said. But him they did not see. And then he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things to enter his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wouldn't you have loved to have been at that Bible study? <laughs> wow. But he, notice here uh, the words that are used in verse 15, uh, conversed and reasoned. They were carrying on a conversation but they were actually having a little mini-argument with one another. It was, they were intensely discussing, <laughs> as it were. It was more than just a casual conversation. Hey, what are you going to do today? You know, no, it was one of those trying to figure it out. 
struggling. I find it interesting that God listens to all of our conversations. Isn't that sobering? Should be. He's paying attention to our words and to our thoughts. Malachi 3.16 this would be an encouragement to all of us. Then they that feared the Lord spoke often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord. And that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In that day when I make up my jewels, I will spare them as a man spares his own son that serves him. So when you're talking about the Lord with your spouse, with your friends, with other brothers and sisters or other people, it's like the Lord's like, hmm, what do you get to say about me? Hmm. Isn't that cool? God's paying attention. But I see here that he's a patient listener. And then he's a sensitive listener. What things? The Bible tells us that we're to be Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, right? How patient are we when people are talking about us and telling us, us about a story, about ourselves, that we know all the facts? Are we patient enough to hear them out and let them continue? Here's Jesus. Who would know more about what happened than he? <laughs> right? I just find it amazing. Where have you been? But notice here, you pick up the nature and character of God here. Jesus spoke as a gentle reprover. He didn't jump on them. He said, oh foolish ones, you're being senseless. You're dull of heart to believe all that was spoken by the prophets. They knew the scriptures. So what happens when we have questions of life and we go to the scriptures, we are to go to the scriptures, right? And what does it say? Well, what I'm reading doesn't make sense with what I'm experiencing. So what is the formula? What is the approach? Faith. Well, this doesn't make sense to me, Lord, because of this. But I'll just have to trust you. You'll work it out. But they weren't doing that. Slow. They, they were only capable of moving slow at the intimation here. They were sluggish. It's kind of like your PC. It's all full of stuff, junk. That's why you got to use all these utilities to clean it out. Cursed be the one who invented that, right? <laughs> you know, it starts running really slow because it's got other stuff in there. And so what causes you and I to, to run sluggish, spiritually speaking, is when we got the junk of the world infiltrating our minds and our hearts that we're slow to get it. I don't get what you're doing, God. Well, clean out the junk, run the utility program, get in the Word, and let it clean you and reestablish your thought patterns. You ever have a, start, have a rough day? And then you just stop and pause and read a few scriptures and how it just sort of retweaks you and resets you to get you going again. That's what we have to do to get rid of sluggishness. 
and, and how the Lord approached you. Slow of heart to believe. I mean, I just think that's a beautiful gentleness of our Savior. He's not going to let it slide. He's exacting, but he's gentle. He also is a wise instructor. He takes them to the Word of God. What we need, all we need to know and what we need to know for our spiritual lives is right here. You, you can get by without reading anybody else's book. I'm assured of this. This book should take up more time in our reading than any other resource when it comes to spiritual lives. You're not going to become a brain surgeon reading this book, right? But you are going to become a spiritual giant full of faith. If you put your head in this book and stay there, your understanding will soar. Your sluggishness will be gone. You'll be instructed. We must embrace the truth. A slow heart needs helping. The Word of God is the right utility program to be running. It's 11.30. Like I said, I can only do two this morning. I want to encourage you. Run the utility program this week. Get in the Word of God. Let it tune you up. Make you quick of mind and heart. Vigilant in prayer obedient to his will. Contemplate what has been provided for us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Salvation, yes. Eternal life, yes. And more. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and life more abundant. That is the heart of our Father. We're not talking about wealth. We're talking about love. We're talking about joy and peace, the valuable things of life. Those are the things that really matter, the relationships that we have in family, in the church, and in our workplace with people, how we get along. This book is all about relationship, first with him on the vertical level, and then secondly on the horizontal. It shows us and teaches us and how we need that. Amen? Shall we stand? Father, we thank you for your word. There's so much for us to learn. There's so much growth that needs to take place in our lives, Lord. We are as Paul. We have not apprehended that which you've apprehended us for. And we're giving you permission to do that work in our hearts and in our lives. We're giving you our heart, Lord, that you might mold us and shape us into the men and women that you would have us to be. Show us your will. Keep us on the highway of holiness, Lord. Draw us close to your heart. Bless my brothers and sisters today, Lord. Fill our lives with you. And bless our day today with family and friends, in Jesus' name, amen.